Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Derek, I'm going to rip your brain from one side to the other. I'm going to split you into two Sorcerer Supremes today. And I'm going to let you choose which one we lead off with here at the end. You can choose the good strange or the evil strange. But we are talking about what if the Doctor Strange episode. in the eye of Agamotto to look through a few different ways that this episode could go. We were actually using it before the show. And uh, so we thought of all the realities that we could possibly traverse here. And um, but now we're going to make some decisions and head into one. So uh, we're talking Dr. Strange today. We're talking curiosity. Um this is an interesting play on Doctor Strange. You know, we did a teardown on Doctor Strange. I forget what uh, episode it was in. 17 and 18. Oh, there you go. 17 and 18. Thank you, Drew. He's kind of our librarian, uh, <laughs> if you haven't noticed. Uh, so he's either the the Wong or the Obeng, uh, you know, character that, uh, that pervades Wonder Tour's uh, stories. So, and, and we do have our own narrative in Wonder Tour going. We just don't tell you too much about it. <laughs> Oh, we like to experience it because everybody we like might experience it. Yeah, because <laughs> to be, I mean, of course, in the spirit of of what if, you know, what if we actually did have a clear narrative that was going out that far? No, we don't. <laughs> it's more so, a, you know, we have an idea of where we would like to take the narrative. Well, we will tell you this, that not all who wonder are lost. So <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the main message that uh, we're, we're taking through here, though. Now, <clears throat> I think uh, I'm going to see where you want to start with this um because i could start any number of ways and you may end up way off the map you know like in a like you're in a game and you're like over there at the border and it, you know it's not good so all um, right I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you center us on the map first sure so let's start by talking about the just the setup in this episode so we have you know what if dr strange lost his heart and instead of his hands but what does it mean? It means losing Christine. What if Christine died in the car accident instead of him getting his hands, you know, torn up? That's our premise here. And of course, that splits that, you know, Doctor Strange ends up with this. This kind of uh, I don't know how to describe it necessarily, but it's this like eating away at him desire to try to bring Christine back. And he in this alternate timeline you know the timeline splits here the sacred timeline splits and in this alternate timeline the evil version of dr strange well i guess dr strange becomes the evil version of dr strange where he becomes consumed with power 
trying to find a way to reverse time and change a critical point in time. And haven't we all felt that way before where something happens and it's just so unbelievable, it kind of wrecks your, you know, just like shatters your reality. And you're just like, what if we could go back and change that moment? And if you could, you know, what would you do? It's gut-wrenching uh, watching him go through this. And uh, especially when you start thinking through um, the, you know, as he as he does these things and then how it's changing him, right? How it's wearing him away, uh, like the good Doctor Strange, the good nature Doctor Strange, the funny, you know, the improvising, um, the uh, kind of the, the guy who, you know, he's uh, he's often, you know, cracking some jokes and that kind of thing. And, you know, by the time you get to the end of this, he's not joking anymore. Um, he has totally become someone completely different. And I mean, honestly, I, it, it should in some at some level scare you a little bit. And it should scare you about some of the and if you really think about it. OK, you could. You could approach this one of two ways. You could approach it the normal way, which is watch the show and like, oh, man, I got really messed up. So you could do that or you can approach it the Wonder Tour way and you can say, what am I doing with my curiosity that is driving me towards? Mm, you mean not so good, right? Am I wrong? Much easier to start with what have what has happened in the past that's driven you that direction. It's just like a. Uh, it's an unfortunate case of humanity that we would like to think we are not capable of certain things but in reality we are <laughs> it's just a it's really an unfortunate truth it seems that we are capable of whatever the worst thing we can think of is it's just yeah are you capable of it today on a good day when you're surrounded by your friends and family no are you capable of it over time when there's a series of tragic accidents that happens to you that you know reduces your hope for the future and allows you to have a slippery slope of, of you know, bad decisions. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I would say, you know, maybe put the focus on this of becoming a magnanimous leader or not. Right. I think that's a good way to do it in the context of, uh, you know, what we've been talking about. What do you think? I think that's a, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And so let's let's get to our focal point today, which is the cost of curiosity. And we've kind of been beating around the bush a little bit, but it's the idea that we are in this series on, on becoming curious explorers. And we've kind of been touching on it a little bit that curiosity is a required skill for great leaders. If you're not curious, then you will not have great empathy for other people we've talked about. You know, you won't be able to come up with innovative ideas. You won't be able to put other people first. You really can't without uh, without curiosity. But on the other side of it, curiosity is all about imagining what isn't. And when we imagine what isn't, we open the possibility for alternative stories in our brain. In our, It's not just alternative stories, but it's alternative versions of things to take hold in our brains. And those alternative versions can eventually leak out into the real world if they're not contained. And that's what we see happening here, right? There are good and bad flavors of alternative versions for sure. And I, I think it's it's definitely incumbent upon a leader to um, start to concept, you know, not to box somebody in and not to typecast them, but what could someone else become if 
I said and did this around them to influence them, how could they become this better leader? And how could I make more leaders? You know, they say the best leaders make more leaders, right? And very much a magnanimous leader does that um, because they are cognizant and they are curious about the what ifs of other people. Um, uh, Now, with Dr. Strange, he is totally focused on one aspect uh, of his life, right? He is. And let's take one step back on on Stephen Strange for a minute here. He has a capability that is greater than the average human for imagination. You know, whether it's from the eye of Agamotto or his training or his mind, clearly he is cast as this super genius. He has a capability for innovation that the rest of us, you know, just wish we could have. And we originally see that in Doctor Strange 1 in his dealings with Dormammu, right? He comes up with this limit-breaking way to approach Dormammu, even though Dormammu looks like he has a stranglehold on reality. Strange takes it and through his ability to see things differently and have a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset, he's able to flip it on Dormammu. But that exact same curiosity that exact same growth mindset in this episode of what if is what sinks him because he has this idea that takes hold in his head that what if he can save Christine? What if he can change the timeline? And that idea kind of festers at him until he does something about it. And when he does something about it, you know, he falls down this rabbit hole of gaining power and, you know, destroying other beings and all of this other stuff. It's kind of funny. Um, I know that, you know, (laughs) I was trying not to go there, but it is an awful lot like Inception and what happened to Dom, you know, and having Mal in his mind as that, you know, thing that he had to get fixed and he had to rectify it and it wrecked him, right? Just the same way. Um, Love will do that. But I think it's more so that it's just something that you want. And whatever that fixation is, um, you know, it tends to take over, right? It tends to dominate and uh, it colors all your choices and it colors your curiosity and your imagination uh, to the point where you have essentially poisoned the well. You have. It's this ailment you have in your mind. It's like the splinter in your mind. And it's not a just a surface level splinter. It's a pretty deep splinter when you have a death or something like that that happens to you. Or, you know, maybe you get you get let go from a job that you really thought was great. Something like that. Right. It's this splinter that goes into your mind. And if it is not dealt with properly, it can poison the well. It can become this thing that this this these thoughts become take hold in your core thoughts and your mindset. It's like it becomes this very dangerous thing that we have to deal with. And it's especially dangerous. And this is what I want to point out here. First and foremost, it's especially dangerous for somebody who's doing who who is potentially having a growth mindset, because for somebody who has a fixed mindset, those thoughts actually can maybe I don't know. My hypothesis is maybe they're a little bit less dangerous because they see things more black and white and they're just like, no, Like, we don't deal with that. That's not how it's going to work. But if you have a growth mindset, you entertain everything as it comes in, as you should. But if you're not able to differentiate, as we go back to Shang-Chi, 
if you're not able to differentiate your motivations from your thoughts of what isn't, that can be dangerous. Because if your motivations get tangled up inside those thoughts, then suddenly those thoughts can be the driving thoughts for you. So how do we how do we keep ourselves from getting caught up, you know, having our motivations, our, our bad motivations specifically get intertwined with our thought life? You know, one thing I would say first is that <clears throat> uh, fixed versus growth is there is a permeability. So the outer layer in a fixed mindset is kind of like any good Western movie you've seen where the guy wears the stove pan and he gets shot and the bullet just kind of pops off. <laughs> just, you know, and I'm thinking of, yes, Back to the Future 3. I am thinking about that. Um, but, uh, you know, it doesn't become part of you. You're like, I am who I am, Popeye style, and I don't need to change. And in some ways, that's a strength, right? Um, however, someone with a growth mindset is permeable. And if they allow their permeability to allow anything in, uh, again, it's got to be a selective filter because you have to know the power of your growth mindset um, because it generates connections. And when you're generating connections, uh, you got to be careful what you bring in and what you connect that to. Because if you bring that in and you connect it, uh, you know, you don't know if you don't adequately safety check what comes in and have that filter which I think is you got to keep it outside the firewall at first. That is like, discernment. You keep it, yeah. Isn't that discernment? Right. It is. It is. And, and that's why we're building these mindsets and these core models. Right. The purpose of learning and the purpose of teaching others is to help shape and share our maps of reality. Right. If that's the case, then for us as leaders, we are first. We have to try to understand what the map of reality looks like. And for us, again, let's. You know, we use reality here, which can mean a lot of different things, especially when we're talking about Dr. Strange. But reality to me is what is true. What do we know is true? You know, sometimes that can be, you know, an object is at point X, Y, Z in space. Right. Like that could be true. But then there can be other things that can be true as well. So then th that can be a lot more conceptual or a lot more or a lot less physical, we could say. Um, those things we want to cement in our core as our core values. These are things that we we believe so strongly in that we are saying that these are things are true. And if these are true, then our maps to reality or our way that we interact with the world and with the people around us must be shaped by those things. So we have to, I guess, exploration must be driven by an open mind or a growth mindset. But we have to remain focused on reality. And that's what happens with Dr. Strange here. He loses focus on reality. He takes and actually creates another alternate competing reality because he can't he can't stay in the current reality. He, his mind gets pulled out of the current reality, essentially. When you have great capability, you you or resources, I say that's one. And I think maybe that's why, you know, riches ruin, you know, all this stuff. You know, you say that. You know, if you have, you know, a lot of resources that um, you be kind of become listless, you know, in, in some way, because you're just like, you know, it it it, uh, it warps that reality um, and you can you can start to entertain any reality. Right. And none of them satisfy. None of them satisfy. Uh, you know, when you stretch way out there, um, it may for a moment, you know, it may for a moment. But I don't know. What do you think about that? 
is it resources, the capability that is the most dangerous? Because that's what Doctor Strange is here. That's what <laughs> he has the ultimate resource, right? To be able to actually act on those things. Well, having a having an active imagination is a great thing. So being able to see those things, but it's seeing those things in the right context. So the way that I was just thinking about it is like, don't let it into your resource center. Don't let it into your domain controller. <laughs> don't let it into the, you know, don't let it in to give itself security to the rest of the brain. It's like we, when we're with a growth mindset, we want to be curious and we want to hold things in our, like, you know, I've heard before you you know, relates to Dr. Strange. You kind of got like your octopus that holds ideas in your active memory. Um, Barbara Oakley says that. And you, so you got maybe eight arms or so that can hold these ideas in active memory and look at them and combine them together and stuff. If that's the case, then we have to be careful that that active memory does not so quickly turn into long-term memory. <laughs> so does not quickly, you know, we, we are not really good at governing our own brains. It doesn't seem to me, at least in my experience, we're not great at it. We don't, we can't set up rules like we can for a computer or for a network that says like, oh, only certain thoughts get access to this area and stuff, right? So we have to be very careful. Like you said, it's really about discernment and making sure that what's at our core is only what's what's reality or what's true. What's outside of that, that's okay for you to entertain thoughts in that area and to entertain these ideas, but you have to be careful because if you entertain them for too long, they're going to automatically be moved to core. I think that's one of the things that's really important to mention here, <clears throat> which is look at your uh, advisors, you know, have some good advisors. He had Wong. Wong gave him, uh, he he's always consistently given him good advice. Um, you know, I know he challenged, uh, Dr. Strange challenged him, you know, a little bit. And, th and then that's, you know, it was due, right? He needed to do that because Wong being a librarian kind of stayed in the library all the time. But he did give him some good advice. It's like, don't mess around with time. There are consequences to that. Uh, he, he, you know, so we, we need to have good advisors around us. Um, so, you know, again, this is I think some of this is closed loop stuff where if you let curiosity run in a closed loop, uh, we'll watch out, you know, because you could really spin up something, uh, something pretty horrendous. Uh, you're running simulations, essentially. Um, and you know, when you're projecting, you're running simulations about how you think it's going to go. And you need to run realistic simulations. I'd say that might be my first point there on, you know, what you're projecting out. And and then you've got, you know, you can practice realistic ones, good ones, right? I mean, I think that's good. There's there's a book. Um, I, 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 I don't remember what the name of the book is. So I'm just going to say that our brains are teleological which is that you set a goal and you use negative feedback to get to the goal. And so if you practice out what you think is going to happen, you know, it eventually will happen very well. But you have to be careful what you think is going to happen, right? So and what do you think about that? Well, if you, yeah, if what you think is going to happen does not correspond to reality or is, if what you're trying to create does not correspond to a good version of the sacred timeline, then you have to be careful because that unreality can actually, the unreality in your head being the thing that's not currently real can become real, like you're saying. Like over time, you can make that a reality. And what is not so clear in your Sunshine and Roses visions in your head of bringing Christine back is the cost of that. It just, your brain does not like to calculate the cost in those simulations most of the time. It just wants to see the end result and be like, and create this grand vision and say, oh, wow, like, 
you know, I have a curious imagination and I can imagine what could be. And then I have this clear vision and I'm just going to make it a reality. But what we don't see is the secondary and tertiary effects of making that reality and the costs that are going to fall definitely on us. But unfortunately, they're going to fall probably uh, more so on others than they're going to fall on us. I think this is a good point to, as a leader to bring in design thinking, actually. Just um, as a human way of design, right? Yeah, yeah. It, you know, as a way of thinking, because, you know, you set these goals you set these uh, as maybe as a logical person, you're like, this will happen. And, um, <clears throat> but if you don't think about what other things, I like what you said there. If you don't think about what else is going to happen around the conclusion, the uh, end of the crescendo, you know, that's not good, right? Um, you're not going to be like, for instance, uh, the rebels, if the rebels go attack the Death Star and they have most of their forces on board the Death Star, that's probably not a good idea to hit the main reactor at that time, right? You want to get people off the Death Star um, and especially not be floating around the Death Star at that time. Um, so I always go back to Star Wars because I think it's very stark, at least to me. Um, I think to anybody who's going to be listening to this, they get that. Um, so you set these goals and based on the results of them, you know, what is happening around that goal? You know, I mean, I, he was completely myopic and completely naive to that. Um, it was almost like, you know, the, you got to watch these singular goals, right? And that's that's why I think about when I see this story and I think to myself, the whole time he focused solely on one thing. And you want something so bad, you will become that thing, Right. Yeah, you become what you think about. That's another uh, <laughs> that's another way. And I don't have it somewhere in my quotes file here. So I would love to give somebody credit for it. But you become what you think about. That's legitimately true. <laughs> that's something that I believe is true is you become what you think about. And at this at this juncture, I think it's really important to talk about this because it feels now let's talk about feelings for a second here. It feels like. In today's day and age, there is something going on in the world, right? Like there's not a global conflict per se. There are many smaller global conflicts. There's not some great war that's happening, but it feels like there's wars that are happening. And there, I think it was uh, Winston Churchill or was it? No, it was Dwight Eisenhower. It was, it was Dwight Eisenhower that said like the wars of the future are going to be fought with ideas. And that was after... World War One or World War Two, obviously, um, that he said that, and I believe it was. It was either Churchill or Eisenhower. Dang it! But he said that, and we are living that. That the wars of the future are fought with ideas, and those ideas are even they're enabled and made faster by technology. So we have to be careful of how we think and what we let into our core processes. And so, you, you know, you talked about one thing being the advisors, you know, can we, so let's talk, I want to go a little bit deeper into that because we can't we can't control our brains on our own. It's just like we don't have all it's almost like we don't have all the the necessary security measures to control our brains on our own. We can do a pretty good job and some people do an incredible job of it, to be honest. They they do have the ability to, you know, to like cut thoughts off and cut them out of their brain. And others of us maybe don't have that clear, strong of a mind to be able to do that. But what we can do is we can find our obang and not 
outstrip them. So let's talk about that moment, right? I mean, we have the moment with the librarian Obang here, and now we have the evil strange, right? Evil strange, he started out as just naive strange. He was like, oh, maybe I could do this. Like, what how, What if I could bring her back? What if I could? And then remember, he sees the Gargantos-like creature coming out of the portal, you know, the guy with the, the octopus arms. And he's like, oh, maybe I just need like one or two of your tentacles to borrow if I could. <laughs> and then suddenly he's just, you see him in like the red light shooting out of his eyes and mouth and he's just sucking in all of these different monsters from all these different dimensions. And then in the end, he comes back to Obang and it's been, you know, Strange has been, he has, no time has passed for him, or at least like in terms of his age, because he's been kind of pausing time for many years while he's been doing this activity, just con consolidating power in himself. And he comes back to talk to Obang and Obang's on his deathbed at this point. And Obang, he's like, he's like, I can save you. He's like, I can make you live forever. And Obang's like, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. Like, no, death is a part of life. It's like, I'm not trying to avoid that. It's like, that's death is a truth of life. <laughs> it's like, I don't avoid truth. I don't try to cheat reality. You should have listened to him. Obviously, we got to take that away from that, you know, when you get to the end of this and you know, I think the best thing I can think of here is as a magnanimous leader, once you're aware that you want to become a magnanimous leader, you have to start paying attention to these things and start thinking about and saying to yourself, like, am I going to let my imagination really entertain this? Is this going to help? Uh, is this good? Is this for the good of others? Right. Mm -hmm. um, how? How am I serving anybody with this particular thought or imagined future? And it's a little sobering, you know, when you think about it like that. Um, but that is a servant leader. I, I these are the questions that a servant leader, I, I mean, in my opinion, should ask themselves. Um, are there other questions that they should ask themselves that you can think of? Well, I, I think you're hitting on it there. They have to, you have to ask yourself, how is this impacting others? And that's where we get back to the human centric design is like when you're coming up with this crazy visions for what could be in your head, the critical point for a magnanimous leader to adopt is we must think, how does this vision of reality, how would this impact other people if this came to be? So there's you I think you turned me on to M. Scott Peck's uh, seminal work, The Road Less Traveled. M. Scott Peck is a famous psychiatrist um, who passed away, but he wrote a bunch of good books. But he defined Yeah, it really is a masterpiece, honestly. And while some of those while I, I just want to point this out, that while some of the things in it are not necessarily like maybe science has shown that it doesn't work exactly like that now. It's like he had such clarity in the way of explaining things that he really he pointed to the truth in what he was saying, even if he didn't necessarily have the exact truth at his disposal because he only had X amount of years and experiments and observations to be able to run. He he was able to figure some stuff out. And so I, I have like a full book of just his definitions of things because he defined things really well. He defined love as the will of extending oneself for the purpose of another's spiritual growth and we can potentially take, you know, spiritual growth can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. 
So we can take that here in our context to mean the growth of somebody else's character and sense of purpose, right? So how does my vision help this person to have a greater, does it help the people that are involved in it to have a greater sense of purpose and, and to build their characters towards being magnanimous leaders as well? And the hard truth is that most of the things that our brains imagine will not meet that requirement, I don't think. At least it doesn't seem to for me. And that's okay. A lot of times you're entertaining these, you know, all these different simulations of what could happen. And some of them don't meet those requirements. And that's fine. We just have to be, we have to have the people to talk to, to work that out. We have to have the the value system built in ourselves and this maps of reality that we need in order to be able to figure out that these don't adhere to kind of my belief system of how I want the world to be. Right. And entertaining the right things. I think that's, you know, being curious about the right things. That's where curiosity fits in this, right? Is we really want to hit hard on that one for this episode, which is you got to be curious about the right things and have the right goals for your curiosity. Because if you have cur- curiosity is a workhorse, curiosity will work for you night and day. Um, however, if it is working on the wrong thing, whew, be careful, my friend, be careful. Um, because yeah, you know, the TVA is going to come zap you up because you're going to create an alternative timeline. <laughs> <laughs> there are all kinds of TVAs out there, aren't there? Oh, uh, that's good. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it, the worst TVA of them all just seems to be uh, the patterns of the universe. <laughs> right? It's like it's like there doesn't have to be the TVA and the lizard, the three lizards or whatever that are running the show. Right. It's like just the way that the universe works. Oftentimes, if you're if your reality is that you're imagining and your, your, your unreality in your head does not match with how reality should actually operate, like that's what's going to. That's good. It's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. It's yeah, good. I would, I would, Everything collapses. <laughs> I would say I invite them to go back to the uh, Pinocchio episode and talk about the organic gro- growth rate, because I think that's probably your number one uh, that at least on my list. I'm not saying that's the only one, but that is uh, that. And in a few episodes we talked about wisdom being a mega rule for the universe. And then when you when you kind of violate the the, the mega rules of the universe uh, to your peril, um, it's uh, not this is uh, 100, you know, a, a, you know, religiously slanted quote here, but I've heard someone say people break themselves on God's laws. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was good. Uh, and I, I think that's actually certain things, right? It's like yeah. it's not it's just like it's futile. And here's another way to say it. I, I don't know who the, this is originally attributed to, but I've heard it through John Mark Comer. He says that. Reality is what you run into when you're wrong. <laughs> like that's so basically that's what happens when you create these unreality. When we we because I want to take responsibility. I do this from time to time as well, right? When we create these unrealities in our head, eventually we run up against the way the universe actually works. And when that happens, if you're lucky, it's just going to be like you bang your head on the you know the cabinet above you, and you're going to be like, oh crap, that hurt. But if it's it's really bad, like you know, you're literally going into the uh, human-sized garbage disposal. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's make it a little bit real. Let, you know, I'll just give one example. You're skipping sleep all the time, right? 
you're skipping sleep, you're working on a big project, you're, you're really hard into it, you're going to get this done. It's going to change X, Y, and Z in your mind, right? And let's say you get it done. I'll ask you this question. Did it change X, Y, and Z? Probably not to the effect that you think it would. In fact, not to be depressing or down on it or anything like that, but it's just the way that your imagination works. It's always bigger in there. Uh, it's always it's always more grandiose in there. It's more robust. Uh, it's more. It's fuller, right? It's just it, like it has to be. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, your dimension. <laughs> yeah, because your physiology otherwise wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't mount any kind of effort towards it, right? It'd be like, that's not going to happen. If you truly believed it wasn't going to happen. That's not really good either, right? So think about both poles of this as far as how curiosity can go. You can be the anti-curious and you'd be like, I'm not curious about that at all. That's not really that great, right? So think about that and then think about how you can be too curious, which can drive a much bigger grandiose picture. And that may not be very good either. So somewhere oh, in sure. the middle – as you say, we land in the middle many times on this on this show, right? Um, because we we like to explore the extents, we like to explore the poles, and we find that we're doing this with almost every topic, which is bringing the contrast. Basically, where's the line at? I want to be at the line because the line is disruptive. Many people are at the top or the bottom, and they're never on the line. And then when you bring in multiple dimensions of lines as a magnanimous leader, nobody's playing there. And that's where you really want to be. You want to be on the edge of everything so that people keep guessing and they're like, I can't figure out what they're doing. Oh, my goodness, they just did something amazing. And I didn't even know that was possible. And it's because you push the edge of everything. Now, that is a different episode for sure. Oh, I loved it, though. I loved it. It's a, you're right. The poles. It's the, it's like everybody, your brain wants to associate things with one pole or another pole. Right. And if you're, if you're not on either side and you're somewhere in the middle, it's a lot harder for somebody to stick you. And like that, you, like you just said, yeah, if they can't do that on one line, you know, maybe on your curiosity meter, then, and you, you have a million other lines that you're running and you get to be in the center of most of these and you're moving towards the center. Like that's what the magnanimous leader is. It's the person who, and again, it's not to say that, dead center on everything you know we're just centrists here we think that you should end up somewhere in the middle always no but you should end up somewhere left and right of the far end of the poles <laughs> always because oh the poles are never <laughs> the poles are never what they seem right the That's poles oh ideology is a discussion for another day <laughs> yes it definitely is um all right well if you had anything that you wanted to add on this episode hit us up on the wonder tour on twitter and next episode, Drew, back to the gonna matrix. The, you're gonna take going the red to pill. The red pill or blue pill? Nah, just kidding, Derek. We can't. We don't go that <laughs> cookie cutter on Wonder Tour. If you've had any, if you've been on this journey for any amount of time, you know that we can't take the the bait and the simple baseline understanding. The matrix is: Are you gonna take the red pill or not? Right. <laughs> we're gonna. We're I gonna have to ask you. I had I had to troll you a little bit on that because, you know, it's just fun. But uh, I knew what your response was going to be is you're going to say there is no spoon. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I want to double that and say there is no is no spoon. 
All right. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, as we close out here, just remember all who wonder are not lost. We will see you next time.